What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? Fraternity is the only show, the only podcast on the internet where two brothers take you through horror of all shapes and sizes. Ain't that right, Sean? We sure do. Now, Sean, why don't we tell the people what movie we're going to be talking about tonight? You're going to give me the honors tonight, Danny? Sure. That's just the way it's flowing tonight. You do the honors. Let me take our listeners back to the beginning. Our podcast was in disarray. We had just started and were already taken off the air for about a month. We had a plan in motion for me to get a laptop, and we would record at my friend Rachel's house or the library. We were just trying to do whatever we had to do to get the show going again. Then we had an issue. My microphone broke due to me hauling it from place to place. At one point in all of this chaos, I was able to go to a nearby movie theater and watch the new Candyman. It takes a lot to get me to a movie theater these days, but I always intended to see this film. And I finally had a moment where I could afford to have a 90-minute escape. I've been a fan of this franchise since I was eight years old. I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about my relationship to Candyman in future episodes. But today we're talking about Candyman 2021. And I for one thought this film was pretty great. It was an awesome continuation of the original film. It had a lot of depth that paid proper respect to the original story. And it also invigorated it with our current social climate. It was a great experience, and it really helped inspire me. We were riding such a high with releasing the podcast, and it was all taken away from us so fast. But I'd have to say that Candyman 2021 was one of the defining moments that kept our passion and fire burning, and it made us take every chance and jump at every opportunity to get Fraternity back. So it's a real pleasure to discuss this film today. It's been a long time coming, to tell you the truth. I even remember calling you after I saw the movie, Danny, and telling you how inspired it had made me to get us back to work. And here we are. Yeah, you were really jazzed after seeing this movie. Yeah, you called me and told me, didn't really spoil it, but you told me some details and it definitely intrigued me. And yeah, I'm glad we're finally going to talk about it now. Well, why don't we get right into it then? Absolutely. But before that, Just wanted to say, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. Go over there, follow us, send us a DM, like our tweets, retweet us, do all that stuff. Make us popular. Make us stars so we can get verified on Twitter, get that blue check mark. I'm just kidding. We know that's not coming for a while. But still, go follow us on Twitter. Keep up to date with everything Fraternity's doing. You can email us, Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com questions comments anything at all send it that way we'd love to hear from you and we'll read you on the podcast we have a youtube channel you can go over to youtube type in fraternity in the search bar and you'll find our youtube channel where we're uploading previous episodes of the show up there on youtube those go up every wednesday and there's a little bit of a visual treat if you watch those videos on youtube and you'll just have to go over there and see what i'm talking about so follow fraternity on all the platforms for the social medias give us some likes Follow us. Keep up to date with everything we're doing. Danny, I think some thanks are in order as well, because since last time we spoke to everyone, 
we have reached 1,000 downloads of the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone involved in making that happen. It's We are only six months into this journey, and I don't think we expected to hit a thousand downloads. It's just mind-boggling, and we're really grateful. Yeah, it's awesome. We finally hit that goal that we had right before 2022. We're so thankful that we finally hit it and that people are out there listening to the show every week. It still has never sank in for me, you know, when I look at how the show is doing and wow, we got 20 listens today. We got 15, we got 30 some days. It's just crazy to think you guys are out there listening to us. Like, you know, it's, I've never really thought about it like that. And we're putting ourselves out there and it's really inspiring for us and we really love doing it. So thank you to everybody. Yeah. We've always said that we just wanted to contribute to the horror community, but we want to start our own community here. We know you're out there. We're not going to let you behind the curtains. Trust us. We see you. And that's why we are Fraternity. We're a family. We're a brotherhood. We have brothers and sisters of horror. And we want to keep growing, expand our visibility, and invite more people into this experience. And the best way to help us do that is go to wherever you listen to this podcast, hit those five stars, and go ahead and leave a written review. And we just may read it right now on the show here where we do our plugs. So that would really help us. And we'd really appreciate you taking that time to go ahead and do that. Yeah, get us some ratings. Let's prove that Fraternity is number one. Well, to the movie, Danny. First off, how cool is it when we see the mirrored versions of the studio and production company logos? Hey, that was my first note, too. You gotta appreciate when a movie takes part in the storytelling or the lore of a film, and we get these awesome mirrored logos for all the production companies. It totally just sets the mood, and you know you're you're sitting down and watching Candyman. That's just what it feels like, you know? It's like, damn, this is really happening. <laughs> Yeah, it immediately speaks to this sense of, we get it. And also to this idea that not only do we get it, but we're on board. Which far too often was not the case in the horror movie world. So yeah, that, it does set the tone. Great stuff. Yeah, much props to that, you know. You're gonna force me to see some logos. At least do it, like, in-universe. Do do a spin on it, you know? Definitely. The year is 1977. The place is Cabrini Green. Young Billy goes to do laundry, and we hear his sister antagonize him, saying, I hope Sherman gets you. We see a bunch of cops posted outside of the Cabrini Green Tower, and they're looking for this Sherman individual. They have a nice flyer with a drawing of him that calls back to the open mouth look from the original Candyman. Billy makes his way down to the laundry room, and we see this massive hole in the wall. He loads his laundry and goes to leave, but a piece of candy flies out of the hole and taps on the ground. Billy picks up the candy and catches a glimpse of Sherman in the darkness, and Sherman begins to emerge from the wall towards Billy. I love the way he hums the Candyman song. He's like, (laughs) Sherman's definitely giving off some creeper vibes here. (laughs) Yeah, it's very somber and ominous. 
and it almost morphs it into this like chain gang-esque ditty. Then he holds out a handful of candy. We then see the cops posted outside jump to action as we hear Billy's terrified screams. Next up, we get this incredible title card and credit sequence where we get a street-level view of the city skyscrapers, but it's inverted in a way that makes the skyscrapers look like they're hanging down from the sky as we float past them. They almost resemble beehives. Yeah, this movie's gonna have a lot of mirror imagery and a lot of just interesting shots and compositions that have to do with mirrors, and I just want to say I love it. Anything to do with a mirror in a film is always so. It just really flexes your creative muscles when composing a shot like that. And yeah, I love this uh, title card and intro here. It's great stuff. Yeah, it's a nice callback to the original film because the original had a view from the sky of the city streets below. And speaking of callbacks to the original, I just want to give massive props to the score that Robert A.A. Lowe delivered here because Philip Glass set the bar very high. And I don't think any of the other Candyman films delivered any memorable pieces of music again until now, because some of these arrangements, especially this theme here, are really outstanding. Oh yeah, the music in this film is great. Once our feet are back on the ground, we meet Troy and Grady, a gay interracial couple. They're heading to Troy's sister Brianna's for an apartment warming party. And once there, we meet Brianna, an art gallery director, and her boyfriend, artist Anthony McCoy. We establish our characters and also some of the themes of the film, which are the resentment towards the stain of urban housing projects and the subsequent gentrification of the ghettos. But then Troy decides to tell a scary story. And what we get is a revisionist retelling of the original Candyman. It's interesting because the notions of Helen being crazy and responsible for the killings were definitely toyed with in the original film. And what we see here is that the memory of Candyman, the legend or the myth you could say, has been destroyed and replaced by this Helen tale. Yeah, in, pre- in preparation for watching Candyman 2021, I went back and watched the original film. Um, I hadn't seen it in about geez, almost a decade ago. I watched it with you, and I had kind of forgotten a little bit about the film. But watching it, and then watching Candyman 2021 right after, it's really interesting to go from that movie straight into this, because a lot of stuff that goes on in here is kind of a direct sequel. You know, I think you get a lot more out of it if you have that connection, because like I said, the first time I watched Candyman 2021, um, I hadn't seen it in a while, and I was just not lost on a few things, but it definitely aids the movie in remembering those connections. And I really liked that, you know, when they're telling this oral story of Helen and how some of the details are wrong or misplaced or switched around in the story, it was like this subtle nod of the nature of like oral history or passing down legend, you know, stuff is just going to naturally get mixed up. You know, but the heart of the story is there in the same, you know, just like Candyman. I was pleasantly surprised with how much of a sequel this is, because you never know with these films that take the same title if you're getting a reimagining or what. But yeah, Candyman was a direct sequel and so much better for it. Yeah, that's the thing I hate the most with these sequels or reboots is when... 
it's just the same story but worse like you're never gonna capture that original story so you might as well just do a sequel do so what you thought was gonna happen next and that's what Candyman 2021 does it really is a direct sequel to the original film and you know I just find that so much more interesting so despite soiling her good name you could say that Helen being scapegoated in the end did destroy the Candyman, or did it? Now is also a good time to mention the awesome shadow puppet work used for what would traditionally be flashbacks. This shadow puppet work is here in place of some sort of use of archival footage. You know, a lot of films will just reuse footage from the film it's, you know, being a 30-year-later sequel to. And using archival footage like that is at its worst very jarring and at its best you can kind of ignore it but the choice here to ignore that and just do the shadow puppet work and do something original is just such appreciated there were so many moments in this film where i was just like man like they really cared about this franchise you know they really tried to make something worthy of being a sequel to Candyman. Yeah, there's a really good one of Helen making snow angels in Rottweiler blood. <laughs> yeah, in the blood. Yeah, it's great. So Anthony has been dealing with a long drought in regards to inspiration. And with a summer show looming, he decides to search for inspiration in the Helen Lyle tale and the surrounding remnants of Cabrini. There's a bit here where Anthony is stung by a bee while snapping photos. And I think the bee sting and the presence of bees throughout this film is very significant. And something I want to discuss more as we peel back the layers of what is really going on in this film. I used the hint, the horror starts with the letter that stings when we did our guest the February lineup quiz. And this is definitely the precursor to the horror. I don't think you can overstate the importance of this little detail right here. Oh yeah, definitely not. And... Anthony gets stung by the bee and he swats it dead and then you see all these ants piling up around the dead bee and what is that saying? It's uh, your interpretation but I think there's some imagery and symbolism going on there for sure as we'll see more of in the film. Anthony finds his way over to the Cabrini Green row houses that we saw in the 1977 prologue. I actually looked this up because I wanted to know the significance of this area because we've never seen it before. And this is on location, and the only section of buildings left standing of what became the Cabrini Green housing projects. It's a great location because one of the themes of this film that will be discussed is this idea that a tragedy of injustice that results in pain and suffering can leave a stain. It's a lot like here around New Orleans. Farewell to the Flesh capitalized on this in the original sequel. If you visit a plantation that still has slave shacks standing, there's definitely an aura around them. There's this feeling of lingering evil and darkness. It's like a stain has been left. And we kind of see Anthony picking up on those vibes as he walks among the row houses here. I think the journey that Anthony goes on has this sense of dread to it throughout. And I think the opening of this film, too, has a lot of dread in it as well. He does enter an abandoned one that has been covered in graffiti. If there is one area where this film comes up short, it's in delivering terrifying and memorable graffiti-covered locations, but that's a small gripe. <laughs> yeah, nothing, uh, nothing beats the original here, for sure. Anthony meets a man named William Burke, a local laundromat owner, and Anthony decides to interview him once learning that he's been living there for a long time. 
And it's here that we learn William is little Billy from the prologue. At first, he's miffed about Anthony asking him about Helen Lyle. The way he sees it, tons of bad things happen in the hood, and it's a real injustice that the story of one white lady lives on. He then tells us the rest of the tale with Sherman. I think it's implied here that Sherman is a bit on the simple side. What did you think? Yeah, he doesn't seem to read social situations very well. We saw earlier when little Billy screamed, like, Sherman seemed, like, confused or, like, disappointed at his reaction. Like, clearly he wasn't intending anything evil. Sherman was very surprised that uh, Billy was screaming when Sherman was just trying to offer him some candy. Yeah, the reason the cops are looking for him is because razor blades are found in a little white girl's candy. And Sherman is known to hand out candy to the children in the area. We witnessed the cops finding Billy and removing him before swarming Sherman. And they leave him unrecognizable as they beat him to death. But what shows up a few days later? More razor blades in the candy. William had told Anthony that Helen had come around looking for Candyman. And he assumed that she found him. He used this story of Sherman as the backstory to the myth. We don't see it, but we can be certain that William told Anthony about saying the name five times in the mirror. Now, I get what they're saying about injustice, and these things did and do happen. But I want to point out that there is a bee present when Sherman is killed. It makes me wonder how much the stain on the area or the ghost of Daniel Robitaille has influence over this pattern of suffering. To me, that's the whole point of this story is how much how much Daniel Robitaille is in the background really, you know, controlling things. We're going to learn that there are multiple moments in history in this area that all serve to breathe life into the Candyman myth. And we also know that Candyman is real. A vengeful spirit, an urban legend that lives through the fear and passing down of his mythology. When he appeared to Helen in the original, it's because she doubted him. And he was obliged to come. He was threatened by the possibility of her sowing doubt in his tale. In this film, the tale of Daniel Robitaille has pretty much been forgotten. But it's my belief that regardless of appearance, he is the spirit that is always pulling the strings. I think that's why the bees are so important because they have nothing to do with Sherman. We always see them trying to break out too. We'll see them in mirrors. And they always seem to be trying to find their way to the other side. Plus, the Sherman story was in 1977, and yet the original film took place in the 90s. So both iterations of this mythology of the Candyman existed at the same time. Yeah, the bees are really important symbolism here. And yeah, I'm with you. I'm on the same page that there's always a hand of Daniel Robitaille in all of these Candyman incidents throughout history. William makes a point later on that the Candyman story is what they use to help cope with the fact that these tragedies occur. But yeah, at the same time, I think there are forces at play here with the spirit of Daniel Robitaille that uses these injustices to spread and grow his reach. Like Burke says at one point, Candyman is the whole damn hive. It doesn't matter what tale you know. That tale simply serves as one manifestation of the same entity attempting to expand itself outward. The reach of the Candyman is about to greatly expand too, as Anthony is wildly inspired and we immediately see him working feverishly on new paintings. I love when Anthony shares his excitement with Brianna when she gets home and tells her of the legend. He wants to do the summoning with her 
and he begins to say Candyman into the reflection from their window. And Brianna is not down with this and tries to get Anthony to stop, but he does say Candyman five times. <laughs> we see them kiss, and we also see the apparition of Sherman standing near them in the window. Ugh, creepy. <laughs> Not long after that, we arrive at the art gallery where Anthony has put up his piece titled Say My Name. I'm assuming it isn't going over as well as he would have hoped, though. The piece doesn't really get much attention besides the wandering gaze of a high school girl that we'll see later. What did you think? You think he's disappointed in the activity it receives? Yeah, I mean, Anthony, we saw him completely reinvigorated after talking with William, and yeah, he was really into what the work he was doing he even says like he feels like he knows exactly what he should be doing at this moment it's his destiny to be working on this Candyman piece and all this stuff and again i think it's like subtle hints here and there that like something's going on with anthony and like there's influence going on that is beyond beyond his consciousness yeah definitely the piece in question is a mirror on the wall and there's a press release explaining the Candyman legend. And when you open the mirror, you can see a few paintings in blacklight. Anthony does engage an art critic when she interacts with his piece. And she critiques it as a cliche critique on gentrification. She gives this wonderful you people line that confuses Anthony before she explains how struggling artists swarm the ghettos in search of cheap rent so that they can dick around with their art without the crushing burden of a day job. It's quite a brutal takedown because there is a bit that rings true in that statement for sure. Yeah, there's some truth to what she's saying and it definitely hits Anthony a little close to home. Anthony ends up getting drunk and arguing with Brianna's art associates, one who is not so subtly named Clive. Anthony delivers a sick burn to him too about the fact that he's banging his not so subtly a Joy Division fan intern. It's the only time I ever laughed out loud during a Candyman film. <laughs> I don't know. This scene is weird because... You had that one planned. I did biatch. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. You goof. The one guy, he's like, you goofy fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This scene is weird because I think we're supposed to think Anthony is making an ass out of himself here. But we like Anthony at this point. And these other characters are all artsy douchebag types. Yeah, they're all coming off very art snob. But I, I get what the scene is doing. It's it doesn't it's not so bad you misinterpret it, but I I I agree with what you're saying. It is a bit off because yeah, all we really do have to cling on to so far is Anthony. Who really gives a shit though? Cause it's time for our first kill sequence, Danny. It, I feel like it's been a while since we've had some uh, good kills in a film. <laughs> definitely has. <laughs> Clive and his intern are cleaning up the gallery when they decide to get all touchy-feely in front of Anthony's piece. The intern, Jerrica, decides to say Candyman five times in the mirror after latching Clive and herself together by the belt. One of the cool things this movie does with Sherman is we only see him in reflection. I think it's really effective and great. I personally enjoy it. And we see Sherman standing beside the oblivious couple before he slashes Jerrica's throat. Yeah, I like I said before, I love all the creative mirror shots, especially I think they shine in this kill sequence here because we see many different reflections of Sherman from far away, from up close. I love when he 
takes his hook hand and when he cuts that projection screen in half and you see him in the mirror doing it but then you look over in real life and it's just ripping on its own oh it's really great stuff and then there's parts where you'll see him in the reflection of like a door and it's kind of blurry and you can barely make it out but you know he's there like they definitely went the extra mile and put him any reflection you see you know you're gonna see sherman there but as much as I like how they only show Sherman in reflection, his calling card is the throat slash, and that's kind of a miss for me. This is Candyman, man. I want and expect some groin to gullet action. <laughs> it's not a deal breaker, but it's kind of a big miss for me, if I'm being honest. <laughs> All right. Well, his kills do end a little anticlimactic. I thought his calling card was like the choke because doesn't he lift clive and then later on the art critic too don't they both get kind of get choked out yeah and i'm pretty sure clive gets it growing the gullet but we don't see it yeah but yeah we do get those awesome shots of sherman here posing when he's intimidating clive he also does these painful groans that are pretty chilling Look, if there's anything cringe about the scene, it's the dialogue leading up to the kills between Clive and Jerrica. <laughs> yeah. Gotta go faster. Gotta go faster. <laughs> Could do without all that, but you know. Yeah, I like when Clive runs for the door and we see Sherman pursuing him and the door's locked and Clive gets his Achilles slashed before he's dragged back to Jerrica. Then he hoists him in the air, like you said, and he gets killed off screen. The next day, we see Anthony hard at work on even more paintings. Brianna arrives at the gallery and is the unfortunate one who discovers the dead bodies of Clive and Jerrica. We then get a great bit where we watch Anthony as he watches a news report about the murders. He gets excited when the reporter says his name and the title of his piece since they were killed next to it. Brianna and Troy look on in shock and disgust at Anthony's callous reaction <laughs> to the news of the murders. If there's something that makes me laugh, it's this part. <laughs> but he's they, like, hey, they, they said my name. They said my name. He's like, I, I, I know it's terrible. But I, I... <laughs> oh, it's great. We also start to get a new element in the world of Candyman. Body horror. Oh, you guys like scabs? You guys like picking your scabs? <laughs> yeah, that bee sting ain't looking good, man. It's looking like an embedded frosted flake growing on him. <laughs> An ingrown flake. And Anthony, my dude, you really let this shit get out of hand. Like, go to the fucking hospital, bro. <laughs> he was inspired. He was in the zone as an artist. Health is secondary. <sighs> well, it's a welcome element, and I'm sure we'll discuss it more and try not to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Next, we get a nice freaky sequence as we watch Brianna have a nightmare. We learn that her father was a tormented artist and she found him sitting outside of a window and witnessed his suicide as he asked her if she knew her father could fly. I feel like this aspect is a bit undercooked and unnecessary. It does fit in the same sort of context as the multiple similar tragedies happening in the same place and all culminating in the now, in the sense that similar fates are befalling the male figures in one woman's life. I'm just not sure it's really needed. Yeah, it's a bit of a thread that doesn't really go anywhere, doesn't really resolve, and I question if it was absent, if it would have any effect on the story, and I'm leading towards no. But 
this film is already like pretty tight and short, so it's not really a complaint. Yeah, we do get like some cuts to Brianna throughout the rest of this film and her own journey, but nothing happens and nothing is consequential, and it just kind of slows down what's going on with Anthony. But you know what is really creepy here? Is when Brianna wakes up, she's startled by the reflection of Sherman in the window, and she turns to see him standing in the darkness of the bathroom as we hear his terrible groans. She then wakes up again though, so we get the double nightmare fake out here. But she finds Anthony standing in the bathroom running water over his hand in a hypnotized state, and he tells her he had a bad dream before shutting the door on her. He almost sounded like that kid in the nightmare sequence in the original Nightmare on Elm Street where he's like, I have bad dreams. Yeah, to me, the whole Brianna little side plot, it comes off like they thought she didn't have enough to do. And to me, I thought she has plenty to do. I think she's plenty important in the story and also serves as like a parallel because in the original Candyman, there's a failing relationship storyline. And here we see Anthony and Brianna's relationship become more strained as she starts to move up in the art world. And Anthony is kind of succumbing to this. Candyman madness. At this point, Anthony is consumed by the Candyman legend and naturally goes searching for more information at the library. And he finds a full file of Helen Lyle's Candyman work. He listens to her audio tapes as he enters an elevator that, of course, quickly malfunctions. Anthony's pressing buttons before noticing a piece of candy tap on the ground next to him. He picks it up and ends up cutting his finger on the razor blade hidden inside the wrapper. As he inspects the candy, he notices droplets of blood falling from above, and he looks up to find the hideously deformed apparition of Sherman staring back at him. He falls to the floor in fear before the elevator doors open, leaving the vulnerable Anthony embarrassed in front of a bunch of students. And I thought here was a good time to talk about Sherman's look a bit, because this is probably one of the best looks that we do get of him. And he is almost unrecognizable. I found myself questioning if this was even the same actor. Yeah, they do a really good job at really making his face look beat. You really believe he got brutally murdered and beaten by a a gang of cops. So really well done. Yeah, I paused it here and just like took it all in. (laughs) He's got this huge gash running from the corner of his mouth up to his ear. It's almost like a joker smile (laughs) and then there's this other huge gash on his forehead that runs through his hair one of his eyes is completely swollen shut and the other is just full of blood it's some really good and haunting imagery i do wish we got a few better looks at it but this is a good one yeah like in the helen audio she's talking about how when you look at your reflection while doing the Candyman ritual you know, that in itself is kind of the scary part, like looking at your own reflection. And then we see here Sherman's reflection, and it's like he's become the part that people thought he was, not necessarily what he was in his real life. So yeah, a lot of interesting imagery and themes of reflections and mirrored images. A lot of fun stuff to really dig in this movie. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I love it, man. Back at the apartment, Anthony works on his paintings, and we get to listen to the audio from the original film, where the two school custodians share the Ruthie Jean Candyman story. And then Anthony's work is interrupted by a call, and we soon see the critic from the art show has called him and asked for an interview. 
Anthony visits the critic at her apartment where she explains how her review is expanding into an article on the works and the circumstances. She wants to ask him a few questions, and Anthony is surprised by her newfound appreciation for his work. He uses the moment to air his grievances with her criticisms at the show. He tells her that he intends on expanding on the work, and that if she truly wants to connect to the piece, then she should do the summoning. The critic heads to the bathroom, and we get this really nasty bit where Anthony starts picking at that cornflake on his hand. I kind of relate. Uh, this might be gross, but I used to always pick my scabs when I was a kid. I don't know why, I just did. I think everybody's done this before, and then when you, like, pick one that's not ready, just like this. Yeah, I like when he he winces in pain, and he, like, has that instant regret. Like, fuck, why'd I do that? <laughs> like, I've been, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I've been there, yeah. I, I did that before. <laughs> oh, it's grotesque, man. And he finds a towel to wrap his hand in and goes looking for the critic. I love when he's telling the critic, like, yeah, you should go say it. You know, it's almost like Anthony's under a spell. Like, it's almost like Daniel Robitaille talking here, you know. It doesn't feel like Anthony. I kind of wonder how much the arm signifies the transformation, you know. Yeah. Like, we know Daniel Robitaille's an artist, too, so, and it's his hand. So, is this Daniel Robitaille doing these paintings? Right, yeah. To- I Hey, I believe that one, for sure. But yeah, as Anthony waits in the hall, he ends up getting startled when what should be his reflection is transformed into Sherman. And there's a lot more bees present now, and I think this represents how the Candyman myth is starting to grow again, and it's expanding at this point. So the spirit of Daniel Robitaille is getting closer to his re-emergence. And we watch Anthony play around with the reflection before getting interrupted by the critic. And we can see Sherman stalking behind her as Anthony is like, I gotta go. (laughs) Yeah, I really love this scene of Anthony and the Sherman reflection mirroring each other and Anthony just completely in awe at what he's seeing. Yeah, I love when he looks down at the hook and he's almost like grossed out and... He hurries out of the apartment as the critic follows after him, and we see her suddenly lifted into the air, and I'm guessing she has her throat slit, but she's pressed up against the window and dragged across it, leaving this smear of blood that imitates the first brushstroke on Anthony's painting. What did you think of this kill? It's creative. It's a creative shot. I don't know if I would do it the same if I were making the movie, you know, because it really isn't the focal point you know the camera's going back and we're getting further and further away from the action and it's like part of me is like oh i want to see the gore you know the horror fan in me but the uh experimental film fan in me is like oh this is a really cool shot i really like what they did (laughs) so uh, i'm back and forth with it i feel the same way as you will said anthony meets up with brianna at a dinner with her art colleagues And we see he's completely lost in his own head when this chick snaps him out of it as she's grossed out by him picking at his hand. She's like, don't get any of that shit on my food, bro. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, dude, chill. (laughs) But it's gross, right? I know. I'm trying to eat, Anthony. Then the dinner is interrupted by the group receiving knowledge of the murder of the art critic. And Anthony's like, I gotta go. (laughs) Not so suspiciously leaves the room. Yeah, Anthony goes to see Burke, and this is where he tells him about the Daniel Robitaille origins. He tells him of other instances of injustice and tragedy, as Burke says, a pain like that just doesn't disappear. 
Candyman is how they deal with the fact that these things happen. We also see through Brianna that Anthony has been painting portraits of all of the other Candyman figures despite having no knowledge or reference of their existence. I love these portraits here. I don't know who did them, but they're awesome, especially the Daniel Robitaille one. It looks fantastic, and it's like the first yeah. time you see his face in the new movie, and you're like, oh, there he is, Candyman, you know? <laughs> yeah, these portraits are incredible. I'd love to have one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the way it looks like you can see his skull through his face, like, I don't know who made those either. Great stuff, though. And Anthony finds Brianna upstairs with the portraits, and he's in full meltdown mode. He's trying to cover them up. He's starting to put the pieces together on what he's unwittingly done here. But Brianna isn't buying it and attempts to summon Candyman to put Anthony's mind at ease. But he ends up smashing the mirrors in the room, causing Brianna to leave and stay at her brother's house. And after a brief conversation between Brianna and her brother that ends in them asking, who would summon Candyman? We cut to the high school bathroom slaughter scene. Any thoughts on this scene, Danny? It's completely inconsequential to the film itself. I mean, I guess you could say it was hinted at earlier on because this girl was at the art gallery. But again, I think it's a really interesting take on a kill sequence. It's shot wonderfully. It's got really interesting mirrored shots again. And I love here too. It's like a mirrored shot from this girl's like makeup case and you're seeing like the last girl get killed. You see Sherman floating, like he has this ability to float towards his enemies, and it's like, that's awesome, that's great, and we do get to see a little bit better of it later. But yeah, even though it has nothing to do with the movie, I think this is a good sequence. Yeah, I do like some of the shots here, but I could live without the scene. Especially the one thing I don't like is that fake-looking blood that waterfalls (laughs) off of the sink. I don't know what (laughs) happened there and how... That much blood is humanly possible to, like, come out of someone that quick. And then that, like, yeah, I have no idea what happened there. (laughs) Plus, there really isn't that much on-screen carnage delivered here. Yeah, we could use a little bit more in this scene for sure. If you're going to do this scene, do the scene. (laughs) Yeah, give us a cut. Like, you can have that little makeup case mirrored shot. That's cool, but like, give us a a couple shots because we don't get any shots of like the like mirror, the actual mirror bathroom with Sherman in it. Most of this scene is like off screen, right? And it doesn't really fit with the tone of the film. All it really does is serve to show the expanding reach of Candyman. But to me, that's about it, and I don't think that's really necessary at this point. I think if you're paying attention, I think you get it by this point. Right, yeah, this feels like, uh, you know, we need another kill in our movie. (laughs) Yeah, Anthony finally drags his ass to the hospital, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) He hears about the schoolgirl murders and their odd similarities to the Say My Name murders on the news. And while at the hospital, he learns that he was actually born there. So it's time to go pay Mommy a visit. And Mommy ends up being none other than Anne Marie from the original film played again by Vanessa Williams. And we're about to get a pretty huge reveal. Who looks like she hasn't aged since the original film, by the way. No kidding. She looks fantastic, man. I mean, exactly the same. Crazy. Right. 
turns out that Anthony is the baby from the original Candyman that was rescued from the bonfire by Helen. I'm not sure how I didn't put this together before the reveal. Because I didn't really pay that much attention besides watching a trailer. I didn't know what was going on in the development. But I think this is brilliant. I love that this movie is a continuation rather than a remake. I didn't even remember that the baby's name was indeed Anthony. Was it not? Yeah, he's named and everything. And it's like, if you're a big fan of this movie, it seems so obvious. But yeah, I think it's almost like, if you haven't seen it in a while, like my case, or if you're just just going in blind, like you totally would not expect it. But yeah, it is a really great twist. We even saw Vanessa Williams in a trailer, but I chalked it up to her being a character sort of like William Burke, like someone just living there by Cabrini still. Either way, fantastic twist. We get the real telling of the events from the first Candyman here. Candyman was going to use Helen and Anthony in order to strengthen his fearful hold on the community and to grow his legend. And I guess you could say Anthony is being used for the same purpose in this film, with higher stakes due to that failure in the first one. Right, and I think the Candyman name kind of got overshadowed for a while by the Helen story, too. Right. She even tells Anthony that after the bonfire, the community vowed to never utter the name of Candyman again, but someone broke the pact. And we know that person is William. Now, I want to give a spoiler warning here. We don't usually give spoiler warnings because you all know that we relive the film together at this point if you're a listener. But I'm going to spoil another film in the process here. So, if you haven't seen Halloween 2018, turn us down for a minute. I like to call what happens next the Sartain effect. It feels like these recent horror films have a hard time finding a natural progression towards the climax of their movie. So, a lot like Halloween 2018, we get a peripheral character taking an illogical villainous turn that is logistically convenient for the filmmakers to get us into the high stakes of the third act. I don't disapprove of it as much here as I did in Halloween 2018, but it's still a bit underwhelming. I just wish these writers would stop writing themselves in the corners and having to fall back on things like this. I'm going back and forth with it. I think I'm leaning towards being okay with it because the story of Candyman does have that, he does have that power of control over people. And to me, that's just what's going on with William Burke here. I can suspend my disbelief enough in believing that William Burke is just a pawn in maybe Daniel Robitaille's overarching plans here because he is a very vengeful spirit and he will do whatever it takes to have his name back and feared. Yeah. Like I said, I don't disapprove of it as much as I do Sartain. That's his name, Sartain in 2018, the doctor. Yeah. That one is just so out of nowhere, and there's no build-up to it, and it totally just kills the mood, and then he dies in five minutes later. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess Burke to here does too, but Burke's work is, like, done already? <laughs> he already fulfilled his purpose. Yeah, I just thought it was worth mentioning because, again, it just feels like these writers are like, okay, how are we going to get where we need to go? Oh, Burke. <laughs> you know, or oh, Sartain. It's just kind of cheap to me, but it doesn't ruin it. Fair enough. We see Anthony standing in the street surrounded by the row houses, and he notices some flashes of light from a building. 
It's a premonition of what is to come. And he enters, and we join Brianna in search of him. Brianna goes to Burke's laundromat to look for Anthony and ends up getting kidnapped by William. We get a flashback scene where we see young William locked out of the bathroom by his sister as her and her friend do the Candyman summoning. After hearing a commotion, he pushes the door open only to find a blood-splattered scene. And then a piece of candy lands on the floor, and William looks up to see Sherman standing there in the mirror, and Sherman hushes little Billy. Back in the present, Brianna wakes up tied to a pew in an abandoned church as Burke places a false report to the police on finding the say-my-name killer in the area surrounding Cabrini. We then get a villain monologue as Burke is intent on creating a new legend in Anthony in order to build upon the legacy and give birth to the Candyman anew. The body horror comes to fruition here as Anthony looks like some kind of human beehive. His skin, like has this texture that could be described as fleshy honeycomb at this point, huh? Oh man, it's uh it's it's hard to look at. Do you know the term trypophobia or trypophobia? I think so, but why don't you explain it? <laughs> well, it's the fear of like small holes. Yeah. Basically yeah, yeah. exactly what uh Anthony looks like here when it's totally covering his face oh my my hair's crawling just thinking about it Ugh. <laughs> my skin yeah it looks very very gnarly the body horror in this film is awesome yeah it's really well done really great nice addition and we watch as burke saws anthony's hand off and shoves the meat hook into the stump yeah yeah, he says some some of the details should be somewhat consistent as he chops his arm <laughs> off and sticks the hook in there. We see Brianna escape as this new iteration of Candyman is born. And off screen, Burke is hooked through his jaw or mouth or something. We know this because he pursues Brianna through the dark tunnels underneath the church. And he's singing the Candyman song and calling out to her in a voice that's clearly affected by this new injury. Yeah, I don't really know what happened how he got injured in this scene is it's pretty dark <laughs> visually yeah you really can't see anything here they surface near the row houses and brianna is able to stab and kill burke in one of them she thrusts the pen into him repeatedly before she's stopped by anthony and he collapses into her arms just as the police arrive and the first officer on scene shoots and kills anthony without cause now this film has a lot to say about the black experience, the projects, gentrification, police brutality and injustice. What I found that I appreciated the most was how it didn't beat you over the head with it. It's always there, and it isn't heavy-handed at all, except for this finale here. I don't know if they were running out of steam or what, but this ending is just rushed and it's almost like they're saying, in case you didn't get what we were trying to say, I just think it gets a little sloppy here. Yeah, I agree. This finale does really happen pretty quickly. And yeah, I can't fault it because they have been leading up to this, you know, sacrifice of Anthony the entire film. And really, that's all we're really watching here. It's been foretold that this would happen, this unjust murder. But I definitely see what you're saying and that it just does feel sloppy and almost like you know exactly what's happening. But I guess I feel like it just could have been written better, because during the credits, we see Shadow Puppet retellings of all the Candyman lore, and during the Anthony bit, we see him standing there and the officer fires on him upon seeing the hook, 
I think that makes more sense and plays better than the cop simply shooting a prone Anthony, you know? Yeah, I didn't even notice that in the in the credits, but yeah. It could definitely be written a little tighter, you know. The message is the same, but I agree. Like the tagline of the movie, say his name, harkens back to George Floyd. And I feel like there's a real missed opportunity in having a hands up moment, you know, like have him put his hands up and oh, it's a hook. So they shoot, you know. Right. Yeah, it could definitely be stronger for sure. The cops end up putting Brianna in the back of an SUV. And one of the officers starts to coerce her on going along with their telling of events or risk being an accomplice. She asks to see herself in the rearview mirror. The officer obliges, and she begins to summon the Candyman. And as soon as she finishes, we see an officer emerge from the building with a slit throat. We see Anthony emerge, swarming with bees as he attacks the other police. He stops for a moment to look at Brianna as she sits in the back of the SUV. The door unlocks, and we get a twist on a classic Candyman monologue as Anthony walks around the SUV. We can see the reflections of the multiple iterations of Candyman as his face becomes engulfed in bees. Brianna chases after Anthony and finds him in an alley blocked by a gate. He kills the final officer before levitating towards her. The bees begin to clear, and we see the face of Daniel Robitaille, and he tells Brianna, Tell everyone. And that's the end of our movie. What a way to end the film. When I first watched it, you know, I was just waiting for Tony Todd to show up. I was like, where is he at? You know, <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people probably felt when they, when they first watched it is where's Tony Todd at? And him showing up here, having the last line in the movie. At first I was like, that's it, really? But it just has so much weight to it, you know, and perfectly fits with the themes of the film. It fits in with the character of Daniel Robitaille and Candyman, and it just gives me chills, you know? It's just one of those endings. Where every Candyman ends with the death of the urban legend, this film ends with the rebirth. The villain has won here, you know? He has successfully perpetuated his story and is now telling Brianna to go and spread the tale. And I love after he says, tell everyone, we see a shot of Brianna's face. And it's all, you can see like a subtle change in her face, like she is now under the spell of the Candyman and now knows what she must do. And that's what I mean when I say I'm okay with the Burke stuff, because I think it's all Anthony and Burke and Bree are like all under the spell of Candyman. And he just has that power to infect your mind. And so to me, it all fits with the story and I, I enjoy it. That's... Well said, man. And it's wonderful to think, like, where is this going to go? You know, is Brianna going to say anything? And does it even matter? Because at this point, with everything else that's happened, the legend of Anthony McCoy is out there. Mm -hmm. The Say My Name art is out there with the Candyman legend. So surely it's going to spread. He has succeeded. So what did you think of Candyman 2021 as a whole, Danny? I think this movie is wonderful. It's got really great special effects it's a great story it doesn't you know it has a lot of the similar story beats as the original but there's a twist on it you know it's a reflection of that same story and i think the thing i appreciate the most with Candyman 2021 is just how it set out to tell a good story first and it really didn't want to be a retread it really was trying to do justice to the franchise 
and I think they succeed. I've only seen the original and this one, but I'm happy with where the story went. I think they respected it wholeheartedly, and a few bumps here and there in this film, like we talked about earlier. But overall, this is a fantastic film, and you should definitely go watch it. Yeah, after watching this movie multiple times, I do think it's a really good movie, and I really enjoy it. Having to scrutinize it, though, for this podcast definitely shows it has some issues. Not full-blown problems, but I think I'd call them shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And I think the original film is untouchable and remains untouched. I'm also a big fan of the sequel, though, Farewell to the Flesh. And I think I would put this movie on equal footing with that, if not a little higher. So... That's high praise from me, I will say, because I, I love both of those first two Candyman films. <laughs> awesome. You know, I like it when you like a modern film, a modern horror film. You know, I like that you're always uh, open to the new stuff, even though this is a sequel to a franchise you already like. Yeah, I love that you're always on the journey for new horror. It will never end. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, man. Did you find a favorite kill in Candyman 2021? For me, I gotta go with Clive and Jerrica. I think the lighting in this scene is really interesting, and I am a big fan of all the mirrored shots of Sherman, like we said before, and I think they utilize it really well in this scene compared to the high school girl scene, which I really wanted to pick, but like we said, I think that scene ends up being a bit lacking. When looking at it through the critical eye, it's visually impressive, no doubt, but it lacks a bit of substance where I think the Clive and Jerrica kill make up for it. So we get a lot of cool reflection shots. I love the gore of Jerrica's throat slit and Clive is holding her like, oh my god, is this really happening? Like having a little mini freak out. And then we see Clive get dragged away and choked by the invisible entity. So yeah, I'm a big fan of this kill, even though the dialogue leading up to it is a bit... uh cringe inducing <laughs> <laughs> yeah how about you sean give me your favorite kill well i went with the art gallery murders of clive and jerrica as well not so much for the kills but because of the way it's filmed i'm a bit surprised by how unmoved i was in the kills department while preparing for this it's another area where the film comes up short for me mm -hmm. they're they're serviceable but that's not what you want to be saying about kills in a Candyman movie. There's no centerpiece kill, you know? There's no yeah. one kill that's better than the others. It is a bit slim pickings. And like I said, they are visually all really interesting, but they weren't none of the kills are my favorite like scene, you know? Like yeah. I, I pick stuff outside of the, the kills, and usually the kills are in a horror film pretty important but it's not a knock on the film i just think the kills leave a little bit to be desired so i agree with you there definitely it doesn't detract but it hurts the gore hound in you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we got but we got the body horror though the body horror definitely makes up a little bit i'll give you uh, yeah yeah great point because that stuff is the is the stuff that makes me my skin crawl is he, watching him pick his nasty scab and at the end when he just looks like a cheese grater ugh. <laughs> we've said it before danny it's the little things <laughs> that hurt the most yeah what i will say about this scene is sherman is at peak scary here and from the trailer i just loved the idea of only being able to see him in the reflections 
Mm-hmm. We get some awesome lighting, terrific posing by Sherman as Candyman here. And we do get some good gore here. I know I'm a bit sour about the lack of groin the gullet action, but with that said, throat slicing with a hook is pretty gnarly. <laughs> I mean, you have to imagine that it's more of a throat tearing, like a penetration of the neck followed by having it ripped out, leaving these huge gaping wounds across your throat. Pretty gruesome. I think the uh, blood, specifically the blood and the gore in this film, looks good. It's just I wanted more of it, you know? Yeah. So how about a favorite scene? My favorite scene might be a shocker. I don't know. But I really like when Anthony looks in his reflection and sees Sherman. That is a cool scene. Yeah, that whole bit, it's such an interesting shot in seeing them mirror each other's poses. But on a contextual level, you know, here's Anthony almost looking at his future. You know, he's down the path of becoming part of the Candyman legend. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. You know, he's on this path already and his death has been assigned. And yeah, it just says a lot, but without really shoving it down your throat, like we said earlier. This part of the movie and these little parts here and there are really what, you know, tickle your thinking brain. And that's what I love about this film is that it it wasn't afraid to be subtle in places. So that's why I really like this scene. Very cool. So, Sean, give it to me. Favorite scene, Candyman 2021. I'm really struggling here because I'm really so taken by the opening credit sequence. (laughs) That would have been my probably second pick. It's enthralling, right? Yeah, it immediately draws you in. And like I said, there's a sense of dread. You know, something bad is going to happen here. It's just, uh, it totally grabs your attention. Yeah, the view of the skyscrapers along with that new Candyman theme, I love it. But I feel like choosing it would be doing the film a disservice or would imply that I don't like this movie as much as I do. I feel like I risk doing the same thing by choosing the final scene in the rebirth of Candyman (laughs) by picking the moment we get to see and hear Tony Todd once again. But that is exactly what I'm going to do. (laughs) It's powerful. It's such a satisfying conclusion for any fan of this franchise. I remember walking out of the movie theater just so satisfied by it. So that's my favorite scene. Shout out to Tony Todd and props to everyone involved in crafting that final image and giving us what we were waiting for. Fan service is not always a bad thing. Yeah, you knew it was coming, but... You know, a cameo is nothing without context, and here the context is overflowing, and to see him on screen again, it just totally bookends the film, and it just works so great. Alrighty, man. Well, that was Candyman 2021. I know this episode is going a little long. We haven't gone this long in a while, but I feel like this film deserves it. This is a great modern horror film. And it has some great modern social commentary. And it actually inspired me to write a little piece. So I'd just like to end on this note, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Go ahead, Sean. Let us have it. Fraternity is a politics-free zone. We don't mix politics and horror. We just don't. Besides, 
If that's your cup of tea, there's plenty of it out there for you. One of the reasons we avoid what I consider a pitfall is because politics has become everything. It's a terrible fact, especially when you consider how high the temperature has been turned up lately. Now you might say, hey, horror has always been about politics. And sure, I'll grant you that some horror is political. But for the most part, horror was less about politics and more about social commentary. I'd say that the best horror of the 60s, 70s, and 80s always had something to say about society and the ills that affect it or hold it back. Social progress is slow. We've been dealing with the same societal demons in one form or another for the past 100 years. Now there are people out there that believe our social issues can be solved through political action. Social issues have been corrupted by politics. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that politics doesn't solve problems. It creates them. Politics is a practice in division. And when you politicize social issues, you force a decision to be made. Decisions that just can't be forced. You create a side that needs to be taken, come hell or high water. And we never solve anything by screaming at one another. It just doesn't work like that. The good news? Societies change. Politics and politicians change. What will and always has remained is art. Art that entertains and shines a light on something while doing it lasts forever. And a piece of art like Candyman 2021, over the long run, will accomplish more than any political activism could ever hope to, if you ask me. That's why we focus on it. That's why we celebrate it. Maybe you know someone that you think sits on the wrong side of a certain issue. Maybe they just don't understand. Or perhaps they simply can't relate. Don't blacklist this person. Don't cut them out of your life. Watch a horror movie with them. And if they don't like horror movies, then you cut them out of your life. Well said. You know, I can't top that. So I'm just going to say good night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time. This has been Fraternity. Fraternity.